0: John and Steven.
1: Thank you, this is Cabinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, is mainly
0: always, is Chicago's King of Geeks, Elliot Serrano. How are you, Elliot? Ah, oh, I survived the zombie apocalypse, so here I am. I'm, I'm good. Yes, yeah,
1: so you just came back from Nightmare on Chicago Street in Elgin. I just came back from the Kane County Toy Show, so uh, I'm tired of carrying plastic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and And I was surrounded by people wearing a hell of a lot of plastic. So, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: I was surrounded by people not wearing a hell out of, of deodorant.
0: Oh, true. That, you know, that
1: stereotype still holds. Oh yeah. It's, you know, sometimes a stereotype is based. in. That.
0: Yeah. There, are, there, there are are were, yeah, there are truths and stereotypes. Yes.
1: There were a couple of times I was like, why does this booth smell like this? And then three booths later, I saw the same person and went, why does this booth smell like this? I, it's, whoa. you know, it's been a long time since conventions, uh, and I'm not used to that kind of foot traffic, but man, it's a skill and it atrophies.
0: It does. And, and, and nightmare on Chicago street in Elgin, uh, over 15,000 people there in, in that little area of downtown Elgin, a lot of fun craziness. Um, and I'm telling you for all the video and photos I took, not even a fraction of everything that was going on. Um, but for folks who are interested, just check out my TikTok. Um, and uh, you'll see some video or interviews I did. I'm still posting stuff. I posted so much stuff over the last two days. I've lost followers on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, like enough of you. <laughs> yeah, enough with the crap. <laughs> so I, I have to learn to space things out a bit. But yeah, but it, it is fun. So and, and it was great seeing Esfinguli again. And um and yeah, it's uh it's something. Oh, and I got a chance to plug uh MCU review. As well as top men on the main stage. At oh, Nightcare. nice. So, yeah. Some folks were coming to me afterwards. Oh, you got a YouTube show? Yeah, check it out. Oh, well, that's awesome.
1: Well, we've gone from very crowded places to a nice one on one interview. And we've got somebody back with us who was a fantastic conversation about a year ago talking about comicsology. Elliot, would you like to let us know who's here?
0: Yes, well, uh, if you have been following the economics of digital comics, right? I think our guest Todd Allen wrote a book on that, and is in the middle of yet another Kickstarter, uh, featuring his own uh, his own kind of um, fantasy mystery series, hard boiled magic, in the. The latest installment of the Hardboiled Magic series involves an audiobook, which he's in the in producing, producing a, uh, producing right now, and has a Kickstarter in the works that uh, concludes on Halloween. So we wanted to make sure we got him in ahead yes. of time. So hey, Todd, how are you?
2: Trick or treat.
1: <laughs> I have a soda, but it's a video podcast, and I cannot hand it to you. But, I
0: have I have but I feel
1: like as a reaction I was like here's something with sugar in it.
0: I have I have um fun-size chocolate bars that have been sitting in the old uh, Halloween bucket for a year.
1: That doesn't sound much fun.
0: I'm debating whether I want to give them out again this year.
1: I feel like they're false advertising at this point.
0: They're more like depressing size. Yeah. But well, it's, all, it's all planned. Yes, Todd, we planned it for you. But anyway, so, hey, how are you doing, and how's the Kickstarter coming along?
2: Well, we we are officially funded, which That's is good awesome. because I would have been wasting a lot of time if we weren't.
1: No, well, it could have been like a desperate <laughs> Hail Mary, <laughs> this
2: whole podcast. Leave you the were, bears out of this.
0: Well, I will say, Todd, I mean, I know historically, you your Kickstarters historically get funded. I know. Yeah. Your last I... one did. But I, I will say yours is probably one of the more um, modestly budgeted Kickstarters. You know, when I see other folks doing Kickstarters, looking asking for forty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand, some even a hundred thousand, you're nowhere near asking for that much.
2: Well, that's because I know I'm not going to get that much.
0: <laughs> but you still want to cover your expenses? Oh yes, no.
2: We we have the uh, production costs uh, covered uh, this time around. I don't know. You're in the podcast world. Do you enjoy audio editing? I oh, mean, I don't it really do works. it
1: anymore. I, I just learned to fill all the dead air. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, an antacid would help with that. Yes. <laughs> but this time around, we are having a bona fide audio engineer come in because Eric, my uh, voice performer, uh, he he's... Not really into that uh, audio editing, you might say. So we got that covered, and from there, you know, you see where it goes. Uh, When you're doing graphic novels, which is what you probably run into a lot for that, you have a print run you have to hit before the numbers make any sense in terms of uh, price per unit. You've got shipping. Oh, dear God, I do not want to deal with shipping. I'm doing digital rewards, which means... You send an email, they go, they pick it up. Everybody's happy. Uh, the post office can't lose anything, which uh, last couple of years, it's very easy to lose things. So yeah, if, if you start out with the uh, digital, you get your costs way down and then you get to let the audience take it where it's gonna go. And you know, frankly, the, uh, shall we say meltdown of social media, has made it a very different experience compared to the last couple of years. Uh, Twitter in particular, that used to be one of the better ways for widening your audience on a Kickstarter. Uh, Right now you are lucky to get 10% of your followers being able to see your tweet.
1: Right. There's so many people that have left Twitter. I've had, I've had for this show, there have been guests that I only talked to on Twitter And now I'm trying to find them on Instagram. I'm trying to find them on Facebook. And it's just that level of communication is cut off because so many people have just gotten fed up and left.
2: Yeah, no, totally. I've got, uh, I want to say, 20% fewer followers across a couple different accounts uh, just because people have canceled their account. And that's not uh, counting the people who still have an account there that just aren't showing up. So it does make it for a little more interesting environment than it was a couple years ago. Uh, if you're doing a Kickstarter right now, email is your friend.
0: It's funny that we, it appears that it's going back in that direction. It's the email list. And now, I mean, as someone who's been involved with marketing and the not-for-profit section, it's it's a text messaging, like getting people's phone numbers and sending them text messages now. That seems to be... Oh, yeah, the
1: SMS feeds yeah. are, are big, but that's a real opt-in. Yeah. I mean, I'm, fi- I'm finding working at an ad agency is that we're talking about social media less. Like we're saying social media, but no one's saying Twitter anymore.
2: No, no. And the fact of the matter is it's scattering right now. You've got a few people that are over in Blue Sky. You've got a few people over in Mastodon. If you're over in Mastodon, it depends on what server you're on, which is a whole extra layer of confusion if you're coming in from the outside. And you don't have a critical mass in one place like you used to. Uh, for the you know creative side of the world, writers used to really congregate to Twitter, and it's just not quite the same as it used to be. Uh, on top of that, you're having uh, the extreme poles of the political uh, spectrum start to dominate it. As anyone who's not living for that kind of discourse is a little more likely to be uh, vacating the premises.
0: What about Substack? I mean, I've seen some artists and some writers on Substack. They got little followings going there.
2: Well, I, I do myself. Yeah. Now, but Substack isn't technically a, a social media They try and cross-pollinate the newsletters a little bit. Okay. Not a lot, but a little bit. But that's basically just another form of a newsletter, just a slightly easier platform if you're not technically inclined.
1: Yeah. yeah. It just as a user. The sub stacks to me just seem like blogs. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: actually that's the way that I looked at it when they were starting it out. It looked to me like they were attempting to do a specialized fusion of blog and newsletter for the Patreon audience. Hmm. It's not all paid, but uh, the way they make their money is by having the upsell for a paid subscription. And it's really taken a square aim at Patreon. Mm.
0: Um, For those folks who may not be familiar with the Hard Boiled Magic series, can you give us a, a quick rundown of what the premise of it is and how many, like how it's evolved over time?
2: Well, how many years have I been doing this now? I think I started this back in. Uh, 2017, so gets it's six years old. Uh, it started out as a kickstarted uh, serial. I did, uh, I believe, well, no, technically speaking, I did a couple of one-off stories, and then did a, a Kickstarter to draw it out to uh, eight installments, which got collected in a book. The format of the story is basically overlaying the old uh, Pope detective uh, style, uh, sort of your Chandler and Hammett with a little bit of uh, social and business parody and uh, urban fantasy slash horror. So the lead character is a fellow who just goes by the name Mr. Lewis. He has a business card that says physics consultant, but that's a little bit of an end joke. He really consults on things that defy the laws of physics and go bump in the night. Say you uh, are concerned that one of your employees might be a warlock and need to justify the firing through HR because, you know, there are legal requirements for these things these days. Uh, Say you have uh, an issue where there might be some industrial espionage going on in your company and it might be conducted by a ghost. He's the sort of person you call for that. So... What I'm uh, currently on is the third installment. The first two, I wrote a little bit more like uh, the TV series. I would have short story segments that roughly came out to a TV episode. And, you know, well, you remember Burn Notice. Burn Notice would have a throughput through the season. You get to the end of the season. Everything comes to a head with lots of large explosions and a few bullets. Mine come to a head with more like curses and enchanted objects. Uh, The one I'm on right now is called The Dragon Who Dabbled in Crypto. And that one, I'm actually writing this one a little more of a traditional novel style. I got about halfway through and yeah, well, let's let's just weave these things a little different this time. And it seems to be uh, coming out that way. When you start a book, you don't always know how it's gonna be when you get halfway through.
1: So, Todd, this book is a novel just based on this um, on the crypto story, or is it a collection? Are there shorter stories in this book as well?
2: Oh no, it's it's one one thread all the way through. I'm not breaking it into the the short story segments, but it does uh, cover a variety of financial crimes. The uh, inciting incident, as I usually call the first section of one of these, a podcaster. You guys have heard of podcasters, right? Yeah, I'm getting nervous. Yeah, maybe. Because what horrible thing is yeah.
0: called the, the, John, w- read, the wily read, Innocent Podcaster. Yeah, no, I read the first few chapters. They're not wily Innocent Podcasters.
2: <laughs> Did you feel seen?
0: A bit. A bit.
2: <laughs> there are uh, two podcasters in particular.
0: <laughs>
2: the Hippie and the Swede. Oh. Um, let you two argue over that. Yeah, that might take a while. The the hippie has made an investment in what appears to be a fraudulent cryptocurrency. And as he complains about this, an assassination attempt occurs that is not of this earth, which uh, prompts their uh, podcast uh, host company. To bring in Mr. Lewis as a consultant to try and figure out who's trying to kill their podcasters. And from here, we enter into a web of you know, demonic stock manipulation, esports game fixing, uh, stolen precious metals, you know, the usual. And there is, of course, a running theme with the podcasters throughout the book. As they try and remember what their format is supposed to be, because they get stuck on tangents, which See, I never—they I I never, there, never a, have that problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are two times when I I've really felt seen, John. It was first the tangents that they the podcasters would go off on, and the other being that they're hosted despite the fact that their podcast doesn't generate as much revenue as they'd like.
1: Oh well, yeah, no, I can feel completely seen by that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little targeted by that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, uh, out.
2: <laughs> if you're going to do fantasy, you have to have a little bit of grounding in reality. <laughs> and then you spin off into the horror and the chaos.
0: It's funny, Todd, because I know you, you have a lot of experience in the tech industry. And I know you, there, there are little times and you do poke at the tech industry in your stories. I mean, I don't know of any other series that does that sort of thing.
2: Oh, I'm sure there. Are. Well, if you want a good uh, poke at the tech industry, uh, have you ever read the Billionaire Island comic by Mark Russell and it Steve Pew that wrote that? Uh, but it's from Ahoy, uh, which is basically there is a long-standing attempt by some of the more wealthy tech fellows out in California to have an island just off uh, the coast of international waters, so they can have their own little uh, community. And Mark Russell sends this thing up in the darkest, most vicious way. Uh, the city of the future, uh, you get scanned and your access privileges are based essentially on a credit rating. Uh, there's a, a murder in the middle of it does a very nice job with it
0: you know what i think i remember reading the premise of that solicitation, oh, and i kept thinking hank scorpio <laughs> from the simpsons which trust me that is a book i would read <laughs>
2: yeah no it's well worth checking out you see a little bit of it here and there uh, i make it a little more of a theme because uh, frankly some of the material writes itself
0: oh definitely yeah and again, but when I read it, it has that very grounded feel. And I will say again, I'm going to say again a lot of times, uh, with, with someone who has extensive experience dealing with HR, every HR person you've written, <laughs> it felt that felt authentic to me.
2: Well, no, this one's a little different. This time, HR is acknowledging that they probably ought to not let somebody kill their employees.
0: Well, that's new. <laughs>
2: H.R. is not as adversarial in in this particular story. Now, some of the other ones, if you want to read a a series of books that takes uh, the H.R. jokes three steps further than I do, uh, Charles Strauss does The Laundry Files, where H.R. occasionally are the villains writ large. And those are very, very good books. When I was first looking for a format and I gravitate to uh, some of the espionage stuff and I had just randomly bumped into the laundry files in the library and it was, oops, well, uh, no, I better not do this or everyone will think I'm ripping him off. <laughs> he has a similar sense of humor about these things. Um, so again, you've, this isn't the,
0: although this is not the first audiobook, correct? From correct?
2: Oh, no, story? the, about oh, not quite a year and a half ago, it's actually a funny story how this all uh, came to be. So, I was drinking in the comic store, you know, as one does. And uh, I've definitely done that. Oh, well, we all have. Yeah. And one of the fellows I was drinking with uh, does video game voices. And he was in League of Legends, uh, the Hyrule Warriors. The Zeldaverse spinoff. Uh, he's got a part in the Starfield game that's popular right now, and he was talking about how every once in a while, if he's got a hole in his schedule, he'll go on the ACX platform and narrate a book. And then with ACX, you're sort of rolling the dice and seeing if you get paid, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And I said, "Hey, well, if you need a book where you're not going to make any money, have I got a book for you." And then a couple beers later. Uh, I sent him over a text of the first book. And in about a day, I had a 10-minute sample. And I about fell off my chair because, now, if you do writing, it's always interesting to see if your editor gets your sense of humor. And it makes a big difference because I've had it go both ways with that. Uh, Eric gets my sense of humor. I did not have to give any directions on how to give the lines. In fact, he was taking him in a little more of a Mel Blanc Looney Tunes direction, which mm. I am extremely okay with. And it was simply a case of, yeah, we need to make this happen. And then lockdown happened and things slowed down a bit. And I was finishing up the second book as lockdown ended. And we decided to just kickstart both of the audiobooks at the same time. So this will be the third book and the third audiobook. Okay. And it's just a complete accident of happenstance that we happen to hook up into this. But like I said, I, it's just so refreshing to be able to hand it over to him and say, okay, go. And I give very, very light notes. Every now and then I'll need something emphasized a little more because it's setting up something a couple chapters ahead. But in terms of the jokes, no, nah, he gets him on his own, leans into him in a, a specific way, and I let him really practice his art. It's, it doesn't work like that very often.
0: So you, the the project is funded, but of yes. course, with, with the many kickstarters, there are you can get funded, but there you introduce stretch goals to hopefully you know go a little beyond. Nothing like that.
2: Oh, uh, we're not at that point yet. If we get a little higher, we've uh, discussed a couple of things, but we're not really uh, close enough to start throwing those out yet.
1: And in terms of production, is there anything you're thinking of doing with a higher budget? So not just, not just what you would give back, but you're funded now, but say if you get another 25%, does that raise your horizons for the production of this at all?
2: Probably not. If we get 10x... It's time to start throwing in some new material. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about when you get into this sort of production, when you start adding things, you're then adding engineering costs to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they'll throw in, okay, so I've got this uh, book from eight years ago. And if we get uh, 25 percent more, you get this book from eight years ago and a bookmark that's going to take me three cents to print. and probably won't affect the shipping when you're doing audio, it's all engineering costs. Mm -hmm. So we start out with the engineering costs. We need to catch up with my time and Eric's time. And then if you get to, I don't know, say three to 5,000, then you start being able to go back and put in some more engineering costs and put in some more time uh, above the original. And it's, a little different math than you see with the graphic novels because a lot of that is uh, digital art and a lot of things that are fairly quick to do and if you like i said with the audio uh, download format uh, easy to distribute without incurring a lot of extra costs there's a lot of math that goes into a kickstarter are, are there is it
0: outside of the performance of the of the narrator any other things like sound effects, special effects, things like that, or is it just mostly in the narration?
2: Oh, I I let Eric do it himself. Oh, okay. It actually works. Uh, He, he has a separate podcast. You know, there are a lot of podcasts. There are a few. There are a few. (laughs) And he got some of his Hollywood friends to put some special effects in. Uh, Okay, I should back up. When you're the modern independent author, the uh, prevailing theory of this, we're going to get academic now, uh, you should have what they call a reader magnet. So an inducement for people to sign up to your newsletters. In uh, my case, I have a short story called The Ghost Bar. Elliot, there, there are a lot of bars. I've frequented many, yes. And some of them are dead.
0: I've, th- th- those, uh, unfortunately, because I frequented them. <laughs>
1: yeah. All of my favorite bars are dead. They're all dead.
2: <laughs> Elliot feels seen by so many of my stories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are these stories actually about Elliot?
2: Well, Not? no, because this one involves a bachelorette party. So, no. All right. So, no. But he did a, a production of that. And he got some of the fellows he does the video game stuff with to put in some extra effects and music in that one. And that was a totally separate thing. But it is interesting when you get into that. It uh, brings a little different flavor out around the edges.
0: So um, what, if someone contributes to the Kickstarter, what can someone expect? What What would they get
2: back? well we let me pull up the list I have a list around here somewhere if it'll actually load oh it's loading there we go so basically the way it ladders you start out15 dollars gets you a copy of the dragon who dabbled in crypto the new audiobook which we're figuring is probably going to ship in January maybe December but I'm not committing to that just yet. Uh you go up a level, you can get a copy of the ebook in uh EPUB, a MOBI, or PDF format. Uh you go up a level and you can do the library, which is, which is Monty Penny, which is all three of the audiobooks or all three audiobooks and ebooks. If you want to uh bump up a little higher, uh, we can get Eric to do the outgoing greeting for your voicemail. And he has a few different voices. You can do that in. Uh, I look at you, Elliot. I think Craven. <laughs> oh yes. And then for uh, a lousy hundred bucks, uh, you can be a producer for the book, which means you get a producer credit, and it is even read into said audiobook. Great.
1: Right, now uh, you're fully funded. How many people? Uh, without talking monetarily, how many people have uh, donated so far? How many people have contributed?
2: 13.
1: Wow, that's that, when, when I of 13 it, generous people. That's when, like the amount of people that
2: went to the Lonely Mountain. Pretty much. When I say that this has been very, very strange uh, trying to work the old social media channels, I'm not kidding. Uh, the uh, I was talking with one of the kickstarter uh, marketing gurus and she told me well what you need to do is instead of just posting a, a pre-release link you need to do an event time to the release because kickstarter i'm sorry facebook doesn't throttle events they're trying to push those so more people will see it now i won't say that it converted very well but i'd been posting a an advance notice that it was coming out and I wasn't having very many people interact with it. And I'm figuring, ah, thank you, Mr. Zuckerberg, more throttling. And I ran the event and the interactions with it, uh, wasn't quite three times as many people. And in terms of names, I think only two people overlapped. So yeah, the, the throttling on this is really interesting these days.
1: Yeah, that's great. It's, it's a whole new paradigm, in in the same way that when Kickstarter and social media started, it's almost like the end of social media is creating an all new uh, paradigm. But now, this is not, as Elliot said in the beginning, this is not the only book that you've been
0: working on, We've... or that you've done. I yes, mean, you've had yeah. you had again other Kickstarters. You have.
2: Oh yeah, no the uh... yeah. Oh, I've, I've actually run a few for other people. Uh, I think we're in second place now, but for a long time, I ran a campaign for an audiobook called Reign of the Ghost for Greg Weissman that was the top YA uh, book for, I believe, both backers and dollars. And I believe it's number two in dollars and number three in backers now. I'd have to look that up. And this was before very many people were doing audiobooks. Now, Greg, if you don't recognize the name, you have run into his uh, work before. Uh, the Gargoyles cartoon from yep. the 90s. He was yeah, one right. of the producers on the first season of Star Wars Rebels.
0: Yeah, he wrote the comic, the King of Terrorist comic, too. Yeah. yeah,
2: with uh, Pepe Larraz.
0: Yeah,
1: my favorite work he did was Spectacular Spider-Man, the animated series, which was the Batman, the animated series of Spider-Man.
2: And he's currently working on Young Justice. Yeah. And that one, I think we got about 50 grand off that. However, because he's Greg, he had this absurd full cast. The fellow who was Darkwing Duck, uh, Phil Lamar was in it. Ed Asner was in it. Brent Spiner was in it. And although I believe this was really for the production cost, because that one was really tricked out. I, my understanding is the cast had already been paid, but I like to think of that campaign as me getting Ed Asner paid. <laughs> Every time I say that. it was. And the, the really trippy thing about that is, Elliot, was it uh, right before the campaign or right after that you were Ed Asner's chauffeur?
0: Now uh, I think it was right. It was somewhere in there because first I remember we had Greg on WGN to talk about it, yeah. And then yeah, then at some point I ended up driving Ed Asner around Chicago.
1: Why is this the first time I'm hearing of this?
0: Of me? I driving feel, Ed I Ed feel
1: like if you if you've driven some Ed Asner around, ten days is the longest you should know someone without bringing that up.
0: I mean, I talked about it. I posted it on my Facebook page. <laughs>
1: You needed to text me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, folks. I drove Ed Asner and his son around the city of Chicago, and at one point near the end, he accused me of kidnapping him. So <laughs>
1: and that's a, and you know, Ed Asner was the voice of J. Jonah Jameson in the 90s Spider Man cartoon. So if Ed Asner yells at you, <laughs>
0: that, yes, that's that gonna be- make me hit the brake pedal really quickly. That's gonna do it, yeah. No, but it was it was an interesting afternoon. Uh, uh, for another show, though, for another show,
2: <laughs> again, everyone's feeling seen. <laughs> <laughs> I travel in a series of weird coincidences.
0: You and me both, buddy.
1: <laughs> now we mentioned uh, very briefly about um, your work as a journalist and looking at the economics of. The marketplace. And I, I feel like I've been reading a lot of articles that are saying the sky is falling in comics financially. And I'm, I really need to get like a sane voice
2: on this. Well, here's, here's the problem we have right now. There aren't sales charts. So we don't know. Uh, It appears that there continues to be a shift, uh, I don't know what the cutoff age is, but let's call it 30. It might be 22, but you've been having a steady shift towards collected editions. So in terms of single issues versus collected editions, if you're reading superhero comics, those are just harder to read in the collected editions. And to an extent, those numbers are somewhat steady. As far as we know, without having any sales charts, the independent stuff. When you listen to people, it sounds like there is more and more of a shift towards people wanting to just read it in one chunk. And this is creating some market dynamics. You also have two types of customers at this point. You have people who are reading the comics and you have people who are collecting the variant covers. And these appear to be two worlds, and you will have stores that are very much geared to one or the other. Now, there will be a few people who want to read stuff that just happen to be going to the store that's more into collectibles. And you'll have a few people wanting to do collectibles in a store that's more into reading them. But you're really starting to have parallel paths there. There were a lot of warning bells at the beginning of the year about the variant covers uh, collapsing a little bit. I haven't heard anything about that for a good six months. I think a little chunk might have come out and then everything stabilized again. Anyone who took the hit has already taken the hit. Uh, Again, without sales charts, it's really hard to gauge all this. Manga is going great guns, has been since lockdown started. Uh, The biggest problem they have is keeping the stuff in print. There are differing theories on how many comics are really being read versus uh, variant covers being ordered. Because the way the variants are set up, you have to buy, say, 25 of the regular cover to get one of the B cover, things like that. And that really obscures what the readership is versus the collectible windmill turning. Uh, A lot of people would, well, a lot of the publishers are actively trying to figure out a way to get sales charts again because they want to show off they're selling stuff. Because apparently there are some hits now. Nobody was really sure The last couple of years, if anything was selling well or not, it sounds like there are hits. Uh, We just don't really have a good way to quantify them unless the publisher wants to send out a press release saying, hey, we sold 100,000 of this. And without a sales chart, then everyone is going to say, "Mm -hmm, sure you did. Let's see the
1: proof. So is this like a Netflix thing where they
2: just go, this is a popular book, but they're not releasing numbers? Well, they'll occasionally release numbers if they really want to brag about something but it's not a regular occurrence. Uh, The way that I understand uh, that it's gone down, and the place this has been published is in Bleeding Cool, and I have more or less confirmed this with at least one of the people involved, or water cooler right around them that's good enough for me. Uh, It's DC, Marvel, and Image seem to be the ones that are really trying to drive this, to get a sales chart, everyone would have to release some of their sales data. Not necessarily on the distributor side. Uh, That would be another way to do it. But now there's three distributors. And you can't get all the publishers involved to agree on one person to give them to. Uh, One publisher doesn't like Heidi McDonald one publisher doesn't like Graham McMillan. Uh, I would personally uh, think you need John Jackson Miller to do it. it sounds like he's not interested in doing it. Uh, I haven't spoken with him directly about that. But that's how it was put to me. Uh, and if you can't agree on one person that everybody trusts, you can't have the chart. And it's not like any of them trust me. So yeah, so, so what happened? Why did the chart go away? Was it a lockdown thing? Was it? Oh no! See, it used to be Diamond was a functional monopoly. Right. So Diamond always would have their sales charts, and you could add, you know, fifteen percent for overseas, mm-hmm. and there were some of the smaller publishers would have sales elsewhere. Uh, some of them would go direct to shops. Uh, there really hasn't been a secondary. Or I'm sorry. In 2019, there really hadn't been a proper secondary distributor for a while, uh, the way there used to be with cold cuts. So when DC pulled out of Diamond and went over to Lunar, or the collection of distributors they had, there were a couple of them back then, DC's sales disappeared outside of anything you get for bookstore sales on BookScan. Then Marvel pulled out and went to uh, Penguin Random House or Cobblepot Random House, as I call it. They come out of the chart. Random House doesn't give a chart. Lunar doesn't give a chart. Diamond pulled their chart, uh, and I don't blame them because when you start having publishers available at multiple places, you might not like what your numbers look like. I can understand why they wouldn't be doing that. So all of a sudden, not only is the main chart gone, everything's distributed around three places, two of which have never had a chart in the first place. Now, what you have, one of the POS uh, or cash register systems has an ongoing count of what actually sells through, but it's only for like 200 stores. And I would have to go through and find that magic uh, leaked list from a few years back of how large the various accounts were and see if you've got enough sales out of these 200 stores to be significant in terms of statistics. Because really the the 80-20 rule, it might be the 90-10 rule with comics. Your top 10 or so accounts have a ridiculous amount of the sales in the country. Uh, So you can have an idea for the stores that are sharing their data through their POS system. And you can see that in a couple of places. Uh, You can see the BookScan charts, but that's mostly bookstores, although it does include anybody who's ordering off Amazon. So if you see a really low number for something on BookScan, it means that nobody was even ordering it off Amazon. Which is not to say a bunch of people weren't uh, buying it in the comic store, but it just wasn't moving in the quote-unquote, mainstream channels. And if you get into digital, wild, wild west.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's something I wanted to segue into because the last time we talked, we talked about kind of the implosion of Amazon's comiXology. And uh, personally, I've I've abandoned comiXology after putting a lot into my library. And now I just subscribe to um, DC Infinite and Marvel Unlimited. And I'm paying... 75 dollars a year to read everything. So I, I don't even know how those metrics would be measured because I just rejoined DC Infinite and realized, well, it's been three years since I've read a Batman.
2: So and so I don't know if I read John John, John. the next three don't, years. How does don't that lie mean? to your audience? Don't lie to your audience. You found <laughs> out they're starting to reprint Warlord
1: and you jumped in. Oh yeah, well, Mike Corell, which is is my war is my god. He's my lord.
2: <laughs> Did I ever, yeah, but... uh, tell you the story about hanging out with Mike Grill in the Quad Cities. Well, you will right now. So I I got a notice that he was going to be there from a mutual acquaintance. He said, "You you need to go take care of this." So I walk up to Mike Grill, and I said, "Glenn Howman sent me. He thought you needed some protection." Now, if you know Mike Grill, he has a, a larger arsenal than certain military units oh, that in the so left. <laughs> I,
1: I did not know that and there is no doubt in my mind
2: he has references when he draws a gun hmm. and i'm told he's quite an accomplished hunter so yeah i i went up to my car yeah I, glenn said you needed some protection and i ended up in the booth with him for you know 90 minutes or so killing some time in the quad cities
1: oh, that's awesome
0: yeah, Mike, uh, uh, to me, Mike Ralph is great warlord, but John Sable Freelance is is the book that I I love him the most for. Uh, See,
1: I I, I got to go Longbow Hunters. That really brought me back to Green Arrow and yeah. and elevated it. And had that painted look in those uh, prestige editions.
0: Well, that would of course inspire the television show too. So yeah,
1: so. but getting back to digital, um, as we we're saying with you know with comicsology imploding and it's the wild wild west. Are there, are the subscribers on Marvel Unlimited and DC Infinite moving the needle
2: at all? Or is that just something Nobody that knows. no one's even looking? Nobody knows. They're not talking. What we do know is, I believe, unless somebody had an offer to stay extended to them, and they accepted it, pretty much everybody from comiXology has left the building at Amazon. Right. Uh, that occurred probably last month i know they were having a lot of trouble getting the sales posted properly dc had the wrong prices for a good month Uh, they had a couple weeks where stuff wasn't posting when it was supposed to it was very strange very very strange
1: well the sales on comicsology used to be this you know front page banner easily clickable and now it's like you just search for the title and it's like okay it's
2: it's still there but you have to look and in terms of the actual sales page most of the indies have disappeared now my spies tell me this could be because there's been so much turnover at some of the indies that nobody knows how to actually fill out Mm -hmm. the forms anymore but image was gone for six or seven months They recently came back and had about six weeks where it was the first volume of every series was half off and they broke it into like four chunks. But IDW, I haven't seen since January, February. Boom, I haven't seen since January, February. Dynamite, I haven't seen since January, February. Uh, Xenoscope shows up. A bit of manga shows up. Dark Horse is there almost every week. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's all smaller. Yeah, uh, the a lot of people are double not happy with the prospect of Kindle becoming the reading platform for comics.
1: Oh yeah, well I had that experience about a couple of months ago. I was reading an omnibus and uh, had to get on the train, and there's no way I'm taking a ten pound omnibus on the train. So I so I said, you know what, I. It have- fun? Keep yeah. Mugger with it. <laughs> I just got a dolly. That's all I need. And some bungee cords. So, I realized, oh, I had the trade in my comicsology and then so I opened it and that the Kindle reader was unreadable. I mean, it was well below what Marvel and DC are doing with their subscription.
2: I believe they put an update out about a month ago. But, you know, it's it's been a very slow integration. Inter- I mean, that should have started integrating back in, what, 14 when they acquired Comixology. And it's been slow rolling out the whole time. They're not ready to get rid of the Comixology app. I'm sure that they would like to. Right. And it's going to be in Kindle at some point. Well, it's, it's, you
1: know, it is basically Kindle and functionality at this point.
2: Yeah. They have to have the sorting much different for comics than they do for books and a lot of the problems with amazon and comics is they really don't want to customize the comics experience they want to treat it like the books and it just doesn't work that way from a uix perspective
0: i would be happy if they would just increase the resolution on these things i mean when i use comic Cat which is essentially reading scans, but they're high definition scans, which look like I'm holding the actual page, you know? So if, if comiXology would at least give me that.
2: Well, they well, you used they The used to. app.
0: Yeah.
1: It dumbed, once they got rid of the comiXology website, they dumbed down the resolution. There was a yeah. lot of
0: complaints about how the art looked. Exactly, and and that I, I, it's beyond. And I
2: think this is part of the reason why you don't see anybody staying. Uh, my spot, yes, I have spies. My spies tell me that Amazon was starting to think maybe they should keep a couple more people around at the end, and nobody was a taker. Yeah, but then again, if you've got somebody that you've been saying, "Hey, you're fired in nine months," oh, seven months left, and then that month, eight and a half, hey, you want to stay? Yeah, I can understand why somebody would uh, peel the banana, I believe is the phrase. Yeah, well, you've had nine months to interview. Exactly. So, you, so hopefully you found something. Yeah, it, Plus, it's really a mess. And at this point, you just see where it goes.
1: Yeah, as it, I said, for personally, I am, I'm off buying comics now. It's like, I'll just I'll just pay for a subscription and basically stream comics, which is kind of what happened with, you know, digital movies. You know, they, we were transferred from this iTunes model of buying titles to just signing up for Netflix and seeing what they got.
2: Well, the interesting thing that nothing has come of this so far, Keywords here so far, Marvel is apparently not technically exclusive to Amazon for single issues anymore. They just haven't turned up anywhere else, hmm. at least that I've heard of. Uh, the coverage of this in the news is so bad; it's possible somebody has them, and just nobody has noticed.
0: Well, I know I follow Tom Brevort on um, social media. We're Facebook friends, and he, you know, he's one of those folks that say, "Well, for all for everyone who's saying that comics are in the tank or you know we're not doing well," he touts how sales have are. Increasing every year, that sales are going well, but uh, then then you have comics made me broke. Uh, the ha- the comics mm. made me broke hashtag trending on um, social media. Creators just don't seem to be uh, reaping the benefits of that.
2: Oh no! Oh no! The there's a couple ways you got to break this down. When comic sales are up, you have to ask which comics and in what format. Are they up because a certain number of them are in the Scholastic Book Fair and doing six figure trade paperback sales, but it's only 10 of them a year? It's just they're big enough that it pushes up the number. Are they.
0: Not, not because- to interrupt, but as someone who actually had a graphic novel in the Scholastic Book Fair.
2: <laughs> I didn't tell you which contract to sign, Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> which, which contract did you sign, Elliot?
0: Uh
2: darn, work for hire. <laughs> did you have an option for participation, Elliot? Uh,
0: next contract. I'm having you look at it, uh, Todd.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's always a the question of how much negotiation can you make in that
2: contract? Because a lot of these are sign it or we'll take it away.
0: Pretty much. I mean,
2: after I, after that, Vamparella. Photoshop job I made for you. You had room to negotiate. <laughs> yep, I, give I me a percentage, or you'll see this again. <laughs> I'm sorry, Todd, but I
0: did interrupt you. Go on. Uh,
2: where, where, yeah, is the increase in Marvel Unlimited, which it could well be because they're doing a lot more of those original to uh, Unlimited
1: comics. Yeah, and they're pushing the medium farther than DC was doing. DC may basically took their comic page, sliced it in half to be a top and a bottom, and made those two pages. And you could see that clearly in things like Batman 66, which was digital first. When you read those comics, nothing ever crosses the equator of the page. Whereas Marvel has been really playing with vertical formats and and slowly adding word balloons and slight animations by making two panels very close so i feel like there is a more concerted effort in marvel unlimited
2: yeah and you don't do that unless you're seeing engagement and you've got a user base to do it that means they're putting money into it not just repurposing comics so that could be where it's moving up right and as you said with no sales chart
1: we can't say if tom Brevor is right or wrong
2: if tom says it it's true tom doesn't lie right but I we, do not say that about every executive over there, <laughs> but Tom doesn't lie. No, but Tom's been a solid presence at
1: Marvel for the last thirty years, I think, and at least, yeah, and he's and his books have always been a mark of quality. Yeah.
0: Talking so. about, I'm sorry. Uh, unless we had something else that we wanted to add to this, I, I did want to drop this since we're talking about publishers and folks. Um, and I know Todd, you and I, we had some conversations about this before. Uh, but at uh, New York Comic Con, it was announced that Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, and a bunch of other creators, I know uh, Brian Hitch, among others, were going to launch their own imprint, uh, Ghost Machine, which uh, generated a little bit of buzz, having some pretty big names, working and starting their own their own imprint, their own publishing company, Uh Let me ask you this, Todd. How is it that comics can't do like, let's say, band camp when you have all these independent artists and bands going out there producing their work, getting getting a bigger share of the revenue from the work? You know, it doesn't seem to really work in the comics sphere. And yet, you know, while well, mean, being, I can see if Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch decide, the only way they can do it is if Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch, Gary Frank decide to get together and start their own publishing company.
2: Well, there is a band camp. Oh, what, what is the name? Panel Syndicate. Right. What oh, that's
0: the- right. The, the, yeah. the Brian K. Vaughn uh, yeah. site. Yes.
2: Panel syndicate is basically what your band camp is. Uh, you can't do band camp very easily with print comics because there are infrastructure issues. You have to have a contract with the distributor. You can't just throw an issue out here and there. Uh, you have to talk to the comic shops, which requires a little more marketing. Uh, it becomes very complicated. Uh, Now, in terms of these imprints, because it's a publishing company, but it's also an imprinted image, which means you're paying image your, what is it, $2,500 an issue fee, and they handle the infrastructure issues for you. So it's it's like a pop-up store with somebody else handling the utilities. Now, the interesting thing about this, because one of my cronies (laughs) pointed it out to me, uh, Red Coat and Brian Hitch uh, is part of that universe with Geiger. That was announced around a year ago. He's Hitch is in demand, so I think he must have signed up for that. And it was something along the lines of, "Okay, when I'm done with the Ultimates relaunch and I'm done with the Superman with Wade, then I'm doing this." And his dance card must go out several months. But when you're in demand, that happens. I personally wouldn't know about that. But uh, what's interesting is when you get uh, Meltzer put in the middle of this, because Brad Meltzer is a name in entertainment circles outside of the comics world. Right, right. Right. He he was a novelist before he was a comic writer. Yeah. That's how he became a comic writer. Right. Yeah, with Identity Crisis. And you're starting to get some more interesting names. And this goes... Across the board with all the announcements, because there were a few image, quote, unquote, exclusive artist announcements, you are starting to see a wave of people leaving Marvel and DC. Now, I've heard some rumblings over the last, oh, six to 10 months about Marvel page rates going down a little bit, or maybe their top rate uh, being lowered, and I think some of that is probably contributing to this. But last thing, uh, Jason, is it pronounced Fabak? Fabak, yeah, I believe. Fabak. Uh, he sold a lot of copies of Three Jokers with Jeff Johns. A lot. Of... That, that's one of these things where I've heard some whispers that it was ridiculous amounts. I've talked to some retailers who nodded their head and said, yes, not only was it ridiculous amounts, that was one of the comics where DC really went all in with the variant covers Mm -hmm. and all the variant covers actually sold through, which you don't always hear. Yeah. Uh, And I've seen
1: tons and tons and tons of hard
2: covers and now the soft covers out as well. Yeah. So how much of that was Jeff Johns driving it? I don't know, but dude was involved with some major sales. Uh, Brian Hitch. I don't have to say anything about him. We all know who he is. And it's interesting that you're getting some of these bigger names going over. Now, I have some misgivings about everybody wanting to do their own universe and announcing it before the first book has sold six issues worth to know if it's a hit or not. Now, Geiger sold just fine. And they will be able to spin off universe. But I think some of that is probably also a media rights play. Because we've seen several people get really nice media deals under the guise of selling a universe to a Netflix or a, an Apple or what have you. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if uh, Tomasi, who I believe is also involved in this, is and uh, Meltzer are doing their own properties under the umbrella, or they're building out the Geiger universe, because I didn't get a sense for exactly what projects they would be on from the initial press release.
0: I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, public, the imprint that Kurt Busiek was a part
2: of. Gorilla. Gorilla Comics, yes. Gorilla Comics was wonderful.
1: Was that back in the Astro City days?
2: Yeah. I think... Well, yes and no. That, it was after Astro City had come around, and I think after Wildstorm had been acquired by DC. Mm-hmm. So this would have been mm, late 90s, I want to say. Yeah, Music did Shock Rockets. Uh, there's one other that I'm blanking on right
0: now. The, what, did he do that series with Carlos Pacheco under there, too?
2: I think Aerosmith was Image Central. Image,
0: okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, Mark Wade did, that's where Empire started. Oh, right. Right,
0: right, right, right. with, uh, with uh, Barry Kitson.
2: Yeah. yeah. Carl Kiesel did Section Zero. Oh, yeah. Section Zero started as a Kickstarter. No. Section oh, yeah. Zero. Kickstarter was coming back to it, you know, 20 years yeah. later.
1: Yeah, because we had him on when he did the Kickstarter and the hardcover he put out was were those, you're right, those initial issues and then some new
2: material. So, what happened there, those guys were getting staked by somebody who wasn't from the industry. And I believe there was a, a minor stock market crash or something and he wasn't as liquid and he had the pull out and there was some sort of disagreement with image how to proceed and everybody left mad mm. and it was a damn shame because everything in that line was top class
0: kind of like um, was it uh what was um cross gen Oh well cross gen was was like it, it was like the
1: dot-com
2: bubble of comics yeah well, that's, that's exactly what happened uh there was a dot-com bust. You know, I almost was running their digital comics. Uh, right, at the, right at yep. the end, I was in the process of graduating from NYU from my master's program. And we were getting down to dollars and whether I had to move down to Tampa or I could stay in New York. And what was supposed to happen was Disney was about to sign an option for, I wanna say, three properties for films. And I think Way of the Rat was supposed to be directed by Chuck Russell, who did The Scorpion King around the time that the deal was supposed to be signed. And it was supposed to be greenlit, so it would be in theaters in like a year, year and a half. And once they got movies in the theater, they'd have books in the bookstores. They had operating money to get through to there, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Some people started uh, complaining a little too publicly. When it hit uh, Publishers Weekly, Disney noticed and said, oh, well, I guess we can buy this at auction. And when the bankruptcy auction happened, they did. Hmm. And let me tell you, the day that bankruptcy hit, I did some drinking.
0: <laughs> Todd, Todd, you're like I can, you're like the Forrest Gump of the comics industry. The number of people you've run into, and the number of events within the industry that you've been involved with,
2: you know. Well, here let me let me tell the public story <laughs> of uh, how I got Spider-Man back to Marvel from Sony. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there we go. This never went public, but I I got uh, I don't know if it's technically being deposed if you're just on the phone with Marvel's lawyer for two hours. So at a certain point I was getting a master's degree and I was taking the first class in the what was it called entertainment technology and sports something like that, at the Stern Business School at NYU. And one day we had a guest speaker who was, I think it was vice president of marketing for Sony, but it was something like that. And she's telling stories and she'll say, okay, anybody here uh, bet at Paramount? No? Good. Here's a story. And when it came time for a Marvel story, She didn't raise her hand and ask anybody, and I happened to be interning at Marvel at the time in the digital department. And they have been talking about Sony likes to have brand synergy, so if they have a computer in a Sony movie, they want to have a Sony computer. Mm -hmm. And they want to have all the the brands funneling back to Sony. And she commented that they were having trouble getting Spider-Man associated with Sony. Everyone associated it with Marvel. And I raised my hand and I said, let me make sure I'm getting this straight. You're trying to disassociate Spider-Man with Marvel and reassociate it with Sony? And at which point the uh, professor pops up, hey, you know, Todd's interning at Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a business card. And the next time I saw Jemis in the hall, and I'm, I'm apparently one of the three people who gets along with Bill. A lot of people don't. I said, hey, Bill, looky who I met. And I hand him the card. looks said it says, you get around. And I told him, you know, basically what went on. And I didn't hear anything for three or four months. But their lawyer called me up uh, during summer break. And we had a long chat about all of it. And it was basically, you want to know who was in the class? This section this semester, called the registrar, they were all there. A bunch of witnesses. So when Marvel was complaining about Sony trying to absorb Spider-Man, near as I can tell, that was true. Hmm. And this would have
1: been, you mentioned Gemma's, which really... 2002.
2: Yeah, so it would have been around the time the
1: first film was released.
2: Uh, The second film, I think, was coming out about then. Because, yeah, this was... Yeah, no, it would have had to have been the fall of uh, two thousand two. I because I was interning at the same time, and basically when I got to uh, campus, that one of the departments I was supposed to be pulling courses from totally reshuffled their catalog, and I found myself needing some credits on short notice. Mm. And I'd uh, covered the dot comics from the Tribune, so it was ring, ring, ring. Hey, hey, Bill. Uh, you got anything you want me to look at? Because uh, I kind of need an internship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> run, run, Todd, run!
1: It's a true story. Todd, this is why you need to come back more often because you you have this perspective on the industry that is so far beyond uh, what a lot of the fans are supposing about the industry, as well as your own projects. I thought this entire episode would be, please help Todd's Kickstarter get funded. But once he said, it's funded, I was like, then let's tap your brain for the next hour. But it's- all, You I, should still pledge
2: the Kickstarter you, because
1: it's quality material. Well, how do you find it? Do you just do a search on Kickstarter?
2: Oh, you can type in hardboiledmagic.com and it'll take you right to it. I have a forwarding URL. I'm sophisticated. <laughs> or if you type in magicdetective.com, which for some may be easier to spell, there's a link at the top of the page. You can also sign up for a newsletter and get ooh a free sample story.
1: Yeah, and this is usually the time where we say, how do we find you online and social media? But after the implosion of social media 1.0, is there anywhere you want people to find you there?
2: You know, at this point, the newsletter is probably the best thing.
1: Yeah, that's great. And Elliot, how do we find you? You still have an at on your name?
0: Yes, at Elliot Serrano with two L's, two T's and two R's. Hey, it would be so nice if you followed me on TikTok to make up for all the folks that decided to, ditch me after all the after the content dump i just i just posted this past weekend uh but that's elliot.serrano again with two l's two t's and two r's of course you can find me on facebook instagram and yes uh don't forget i also um, am part of the mcu review top Men in indiana jones podcast and shaken not heard a james bond fancast all which you can find on youtube
1: and we're going old school. You can watch, follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash where We post all the news as Fit to Geek, and it's the first place that we let you know where there's a new episode. And you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done it, anywhere you get podcasts. It doesn't matter if you're talking through your Alexa or listening to on your iPhone. It's a very easy way. As Elliot likes to say, he just asks Echo to have me talk through it. <laughs> and that's what it does. But either way, we will talk to you next week.